Welcome back, everybody. So uh, we're still at IMSH. This will be our last thing that we're going to record live in the event hall here in a few minutes. They're going to start just tearing the world down around us, and it's going to get very loud. This next guy that's going to be joining us, none of you have ever heard of. He's a very new person, a stranger to our show, Mr. Matt Charnetsky from Dartmouth. So, Matt, you are board member and now secretary, is that correct? I've been board member for a year. Okay. Uh, I was an appointed at-large director, and then I was elected secretary this year for the next two years. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And, and welcome back, of course. I appreciate it. Like I said, I've, jokes aside, you've, you've been with us a while at this point, and one of our... Longtime listener, third-time caller. <laughs> That's right. Is it only three? I feel like it's more than that. It might be more than that. I'm not even sure. I think it's at least four, because we did the Anaxel standards. Yep, we did yeah. the thing at SimOps. I know we've done a few. Yeah. Yeah. That said, though, you're here in your official capacity for the society, right? Uh, and like I said, this we are literally about to watch IMSH just kind of implode on itself around us yep. here in the exhibit hall. Uh, so you came on to talk about research, the research summit they held this year, uh, which unfortunately I didn't make it to. I, I didn't come in until late Saturday night, but I was watching everything on the internet. It looked fantastic, uh, as well as membership and international outreach. Is that right? Correct. So I think that the big thing first is we just did our strategic planning for the board uh, and we approved at least the five pillars. Uh, I won't say them now because I'll get them wrong or I'll forget them or whatever. But one of the things that we've been pointing out a lot is sustainability and growth. And when we started talking about that, one of the things we recognized was that there were a number of barriers for people from other countries, from different income, different socioeconomic status, different layers of everything. And we wanted to find a way to help people get past that. So over the last year, one of the things we had been working on was a tiered membership structure or membership fee structure, really, where we would look at the, I think it was the International Monetary Fund and World Health Organization or something like that, where they actually provide data that compares different countries in terms of what an actual income would be and how that compares to American U.S. dollars. And in doing that, then we made three tiers so that if you are from one of these countries, presumably, even if you are a physician there or you are a, you know, other traditionally high paid role, you're still not paid at the same level as somebody in the United States. And so we were able to change our tiers so that then you would have the $185 or $190, whatever it is now for membership. And then it would break down one level for folks in this certain band and then another level for the other. If I remember correctly, I think the bottom band is $35 or something, right? So it's a it's a big swing, but it's acknowledging that, that difference. And it's to encourage international membership. Comes with the same benefits gives you access to all of the same things. I, th I think maybe we don't send the paper journal internationally, but you still get digital access to it and all of that, which is great. The other things we've been looking at is trying to find what other barriers there are to membership or to different benefits of membership. So related to that, I can't really talk about this without mentioning the SSH fund that I think you guys have already talked about. With that, one of the things is to expand the uh, Beverly Anderson scholarship which is to then increase because, I mean, travel costs are increasing, but also we didn't have anything to acknowledge international attendees. So now it meets that as well. Um, and then we're looking at other things. We're looking at, at just across the board, what are the costs? What are the member benefits? How do we make that more accessible to more people, to increase people internationally, but also people who aren't being supported by their institutions for whatever reason, people who aren't at an institution yet, people who are just getting into SIM, all those kinds of things are, are coming through in that. 
Well, and you mentioned this, and I don't know if you have data on this. Julie Maxworthy mentioned it, I think, or somebody else did yesterday with the tiered uh, thing, because that, that came in when she was still president a little over a year ago, right? Yep. Uh, do we have do we have any data to show how how impactful that's been yet? Have we seen higher numbers coming in from those low-income countries than we had in years past? I, I'm assuming we have. I just do we Have we seen it? I'm assuming, but I, I have not seen numbers. I haven't looked at the membership data, but I, I do know that we have consistently been growing in membership every year. I mean- for as long as I've been with the society. And it's it's been astronomical in the last few years. I know that this year, uh, I think we have, what, just over 40 or right around 4,100 attendees. And I believe they said uh, over 500 of them are international. I, I don't, again, don't know this, but I would suspect 10 to 15% of membership or of attendance being international probably is unusual. Yeah. Um, so I, anecdotally, probably a fair assumption yeah i mean and so i know they talked about it yesterday there's 140 countries or something yeah. we have members in 140 countries now which is ridiculous yeah so the the other thing uh, that you came to talk about was the research summit so we you know you guys just held a two-day research summit presenting a lot of what's going on in simulation of course you have a background in research being the director of simulation-based education and research uh so talk to us about that what was the summit yeah so i mean the summit is this is longer term project and so in I, and then I don't recall the exact years, but I think it was 2012 and 2017, they also had research summits. And the purpose of this is to pick a collection of topics that are of particular relevance or where they're kind of emerging things that we just don't know what we know about them. And to get a group of people together and and put together a state of of the science. And in, in 2017, at the end of that research summit, they kind of came forward and they said, all right, great, we've done all this research. And most of it is to, to the result of people like simulation. And there were lots of things that did more than that. I, I don't want to boil down people's work who did lots of great work. But from the research summit, that was the big takeaway. And, and so the push was, hey, we need to be looking to push forward and start looking at more behavior change, at patient outcomes, at return on investment, all that kind of stuff. So this time we picked the 12 different topics and, you know, it was everything from debriefing to mastery learning to learning spaces to distance simulation, you know, just this, this whole gamut of topics. And what we did was over the last two years, we just kind of wrapped our arms around the status of whatever it was that that topic was about. So I was closely involved with the Distance Simulation Summit. And we went through and we just looked at, A, what were people saying, a, a meta-analysis of systematic reviews, an umbrella review of what did people used to say about regular simulation? What worked, what didn't work, what, you know, just kind of what was the takeaway? Then we took a systematic review of what we termed hybrid simulation, which means lots of different things to lots of different people. We called it hybrid simulation, but um, it was really a mixture, any simulation experience that was a mixture of in-person and distance. So maybe you come in and you do skills one day, and then two days later you, quote, see the same patient, but it's over Zoom, and now you're doing a follow-up to the, the, the procedure that you just did. Something like that. That's hybrid. And then we looked, we did another systematic review for distance simulation, which was things that were carried out completely over video teleconferencing or Second Life or whatever it happened to be. And the, the plan was to be able to then say, like, how are we doing? Did we progress from where we were? What's the current state of this thing? And the research summit, or, or what we kind of refer to as the research summit, was the result of two years of work. This group of people, I think it was almost 300 people, came together for two days. 
um, before the conference started to discuss the research that they did and what they found. A lot of what people found was kind of the same thing. Hey, we're still talking about people's reactions to sim. We need to keep moving that forward. But a lot of people did some really remarkable work on really high volumes of papers. Um, I think one of the studies did... They did a systematic review of 47,000 research papers. Wow. And then they boiled that down and said, all right, you know, now that we've, we've narrowed it down to this, we've done a full text review of these 290 papers from that subset to say, this is the status of this thing. The research summit was valuable because we got those presentations and then we broke off into subgroups where attendees could come together and we could talk about what's the next thing we should actually research related to this. Is it another systematic review or is it some actual uh, uh, randomized control trial? What is it to look at within distance simulation? These are our priorities and these are the next three studies we think we should do. The other thing that came out of that or that we're trying to put together out of that were reporting guidelines. One of the things we found is it's really hard to compare simulation when everybody's using different words to talk about it. And so if we come up with reporting guidelines, now we're able to do those reviews much more in a much more streamlined fashion because we can compare things directly and then we can actually say something about it on the far end. So, I mean, and you kind of referenced this, right? Historically, a lot of our research has been that, you know, Kirkpatrick's one, two, we're trying to yep. push it a little further than that. Uh, you were there, you were present for this. Are we seeing that this time around compared to the 2017 research summit? Are we seeing a further push? What did, what did these systematic reviews come back or is it at least heading in the right direction? Most of the systematic reviews were showing that we were still doing a lot of that. There's a, a framework of categorizing research and I apologize, I don't remember the name of it. Janice Palaganis referenced it in a couple of presentations. Um, and in that, what she kind of argued was, yeah, if we look at the maturity of research in simulation, we're kind of on this line where we're just about to tip over into the next level. Tipping over into that next level is moving into those Kirkpatrick three, four, five translational outcomes, that sort of thing. And, and we're ready for it. It's time. We just haven't quite done it yet. And that was part of then with this research summit when we're talking about what kind of research do we want to do next. Part of the push from the leaders of the research summit was awesome. We've come up with this research question. This sounds really interesting. You guys are talking about levels one and two. How do we take that same question, but now let's make it levels three and four. Um, so pushing that forward, I think there were a lot of really interesting projects that were proposed and, and I would expect we'll start to see some of that come out. So we'll see publications from the research summit and those reviews, and then we'll start seeing some, some calls for researchers and help with these other projects and then hopefully start seeing that publication too. So, I mean, and, and again, I'm putting you on the spot with another question here, but you've seen it, you've been there, you've been involved with this for a long time. Where are our gaps? What is it we're not researching right now, or at least we haven't put to paper yet, we haven't published that we need to see and where maybe some up and coming researchers or people who are interested should really focus their efforts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first thing I would do just to, to skate your question just a little bit uh, <laughs> is to point people back to the knowledge map that SSH has on their website. And the reason I would point people back to that is that actually provides real gaps. It shows if you if you start digging down through that knowledge map, which is a very interesting interface and it's kind of fun to play around with, but as you dig down into that, you'll see spaces where research will fit and you'll think, oh, my question just fits right in there. Personally, what I think we're missing, if we wanna paint a really broad stroke on it, what we're missing are those longitudinal behavior-based studies. So. We did a sim, 
beforehand and after we tested to see if they changed their knowledge, if they enjoyed their experience, if they're whatever, that's fine. We can keep doing those things. That's important programmatic data, and it does give us a context. What we're not looking at is six months down the road or in the practice context, are they exhibiting the behaviors that we just tried to train them on? And are they continuing to do so long term? Are we producing that behavior change, that culture change, all those things? In a dream world, absolutely, we'd look at patient outcomes on top of that because that's where the real bread and butter is. But I'd even accept if it's changing behaviors regularly in the patient care setting and if we're starting to see a change in the uh, well-being and experience of the, the healthcare professional. Oh, and Matt, we've we've had a lot of these conversations over the years anyway, and I know you've talked about some of these points when you've been on our on our show before. Uh, and so, you know, obviously you, you've got your opinions, you've shared those with us, or you're kind of pointing out where the, where those gaps are at. What what advice do you have for maybe maybe there's a SIMOP out there or a new educator or somebody that wants to get into research? How how do they take those steps? How do they get involved, if not even with the society, just in general, how do they do it? Yeah, I, I think there's a few different things. Number one, there's there's a book that was, I think it's Healthcare Simulation Research and something else. Came out two years ago, I believe. Deborah Nestel, I think, was the editor. Um, I, I think that's a great place to start just to get some ideas. The other thing is the simulation community is small. Mm -hmm. Hit your little red wagon to whoever you can find and, <laughs> and get onto a project they're working on. I, I think... For me, I, I, I would still consider myself a, a novice to very early intermediate researcher. And what changed that for me was just having the opportunity to be a participant on someone else's study and help out with that work, reviewing papers, helping do the writing, that kind of thing. That was one. Number two, SSH has a ton of resources. So does Anaxel. SimGhost has some things that they're trying to do for research. There are lots of organizations that have pathways for you to connect to and integrate with. Even just getting on SimConnect or, or whatever message board you want, Facebook, everything, and reaching out and saying, I'm working on this research project, or this is something I'm interested in. Is anybody working on this? I, I think most people are so hungry for help with their research on top of wanting to be researchers that you're going to find people that that you can connect with and, and figure out what to do next. And there, I mean, there's some pretty scary steps in there, right? Like if you if you've never even heard of an IRB going right. for IRB approval is a huge thing to overcome. And so right. just asking like, hey, right. I, I've got this application. Will somebody look over it? Right. Yeah. And because I, I know at our, our facility, we have our own IRB and everything goes through a, an initial application and then a formal IRB application. And just asking for someone to read it or, hey, I'm looking for a few people to jump on this project. There's yep. always people looking to publish that are willing to help with, with other things as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think related to that, I've been running into a lot of people who aren't even aware what an IRB is. Right. I, I think that's we have a lot of people coming into simulation that are coming from places that truly had no research background. And that's great. Let, let's let's move in. But. But talking to people who then, you know, you say, did you get IRB approval for that? Having a lot of people that say either what's IRB, that's a little bit unnerving, or even worse, I didn't need it. So-and-so told me that I don't need that thing. Oh. And, <laughs> and that's, that's more troubling because now we have people who potentially are doing research that even though it's probably exempt, even though there's probably not any issue with it, you still have to have somebody look at that thing and, and agree there's no issue and, yeah. and we don't need you as you as the author cannot make that decision right. for yourself. Like right. it, ha it has to go in front of someone. And, you know, you brought up a good point. People are coming into simulation from everywhere. And we talk about this a lot. They come in from all kinds of industries. 20 minutes ago, some dude just walked up and started talking to us. He's been in simulation for the last two months and he managed a kitchen before this. Right. 
So wow. there's right. There's very little chance that he understands that yeah. process of getting right. a paper through and getting an you know getting an application and IRB approval. Uh, and so again, just making sure people are, are contacting the right folks or even just asking the right questions. You know, yeah. pushing it out. Yeah, and that I think the other thing that that I've seen a lot in my time in sim are a lot of places where it would be super advantageous for folks from the operations community or with operations backgrounds to step in to help out with research. Uh, I had been a, a specialist for, I don't know, maybe six months, maybe eight months. It wasn't long. And some folks at my first institution were looking to do a research project and they had all these plans and Great project, great design, but they didn't know anything about how to collect the data they wanted. And what they were doing was a terrible pathway that all our equipment could do for them. And that with that operations background, we were able to help them design the, the algorithm that the patient went through, the, the, the case, all that stuff, made it so that it actually spit out the data they wanted rather than them having to sit there and mark everything down, you know, all those sorts of things. There's, there's just a huge need for that logistical and operational support. Yeah, and, 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 you know, feel free to, to comment on this, but the society has the Storm magazine, right? So Storm is, it is a peer-reviewed magazine, but it's not necessarily a peer-reviewed journal, right? It's not a formal publication. Right. Uh, and if somebody's looking to get started into that process of writing, I, I feel like that's a good place to start too, because it doesn't Absolutely. require that IRB approval. It doesn't require all the formality. You can just share your ideas through that. And that's right. where you can kind of hone in those technical writing skills. Right. And, you know, to be fair, simulation in healthcare has a lot of other types of papers you can submit. They don't have to be research studies. Um, and I don't happen to remember the names of all the other ones off the top of my head, of course. Um, but if you look at those and, and look at the criteria for some of those different things, you can write white papers, you can write opinion pieces and, and things like that. If you're looking to write and looking to explore some other ways to get into publishing in SIM, there's other pathways as well. And I mean, look at all the blogs that are out there. They're often looking for contributors. Uh, you know, there's there's ways to get into lighter weight research or entry level research on top of that, whether it's the studies or the writing component. Well, Matt, man, it's always fun, right? And uh, again, we'll see you again soon. I'm sure of it. We, we don't ever go long without getting back with you. So super good to see you guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and, you know, and especially in your new role on behalf of society, it's always just been us. And now you're here in your official capacity, which is, is a first. So I'm happy to see that. Uh, any parting thoughts, anything you want to share with everybody? You know, I, I think we're really underestimating uh, the reach of a lot of different not just people refer to it as marketing, but it's not really just marketing, but the information dissemination. We think publication is the the final answer and is the best way to get things out there. But I think looking at podcasts, looking at the video things that are out there, looking at blogs, those ways to disseminate your work and, and the things that you're learning and the things that you've figured out through Storm, through SSH, through whatever pathway you want is super important to this community. And so I, I think thank you guys for what you're doing. And, and I think the reach you guys have is really incredible. Uh, my just as a side note, my story of wandering through an airport and having somebody ask me if they can have my Sim Geeks pin off of my my backpack that I was wearing, and I was like, I don't. What are you talking about? And and it was just it was it wasn't even a person that was at the conference I was coming from. It was a random human who listens to this podcast in an airport. Anyway, that being said, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge all of these different ways of disseminating and connecting all of us, and and I think this is a great one. It's one thing I'm very, very passionate about as well, because I know that everybody has their way of getting data, their way of processing it, and their way they'd like to receive it. And so that's why I try to do as many platforms. We both try to do as many platforms as possible. So, yeah, <clears throat> just getting the knowledge out there, sharing it and things like that. So thank you. 
Well, Thanks, everybody, Dave. this has been the final live episode that we are filming on the showroom floor here at IMSH 2023 in Orlando. We really appreciate you guys hanging out with us for the last few days. I think this is episode eight or nine that we've done on in, in the capacity for the society, plus a few others that we'll be releasing over the coming weeks. So uh, thanks again to all of you guys that are listening to this. Feel free to reach out to us. Contact us through all the social medias. I'm stealing Dave Slender here right Go now. Go for it. Uh, and have a wonderful night. Thank you. Live on the floor from IMSH 2023. That's a wrap. See you next year.